WDBM East Lansing. The impact. You're listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. WDBM East Lansing, you are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. Uh, This is Michigan State University's student-run program. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. Tonight on the show, we have a lot. We have art and skateboarding and talking about the intersection between the two. We have some tips for some incoming students. We have an unorthodox music festival. I'm going to sit down with the uh, director of that. It's called the Sonic Lunch. And we'll also be talking about a new bike share program at Bailey that is finally up and running. You might have heard about it, but we'll get some feedback on how it's how it's going. But first, here's your weekly impact update. Now it's time for an update from Impact News. Exposure will return in just a moment, but first, here's your weekly impact update. Yesterday, the Snyder administration announced a large sum of money can be allocated to fighting sexual assault on college campuses across the state. Recent investigations have shown a lack of agreement on how to treat sexual assault statewide at universities. According to the Detroit Free Press, MSU requires staff to call police immediately upon receiving a report of a sexual assault. But the University of Michigan leaves the question of police involvement to the survivors. These kinds of inconsistencies can be seen throughout the state. The money will be available in 2016 in the form of grants for state colleges. Now we go to Impact reporter Marissa Saldivia with an update on the FIFA bribery scandal. Documents showing former FIFA Vice President Jack Warner accepting multiple bribes have been released. This comes shortly after 14 FIFA officials have been arrested for allegedly accepting bribes and kickbacks. Money was sent from FIFA to accounts controlled by Warner on behalf of South Africa to be used for the Caribbean Diaspora Legacy Program. The document suggests that Warner used the payment for cash withdrawals, personal loans, and to launder money. The revelation of these FBI charges have driven FIFA into the greatest crisis. Last week, its president, Sepp Blatter, announced he was stepping down only days after being reelected to a fifth term. With your international news, I'm Marissa Saldivia. Next, Impact reporter Ryan Smith with a national cybersecurity breach. Last Thursday, President Obama announced that the federal government was once again breached by foreign hackers. According to the New York Times, this newest security breach appeared to target social security numbers and, quote, other personal identifying information. It was estimated that the information of over 4 million combined current and ex-federal employees were compromised. Those persons will be given 18 free months of free credit monitoring to ensure their identities weren't stolen. The administration claims that the breach apparently originated in China. However, it is unclear if the attack was sponsored by the Chinese government. The purpose of the breach is also still unclear. This is the largest cyber federal security breach to date, and is also the third in the last year. With your national news, I'm Ryan Smith. Finally, we go to Michaela Harris with your entertainment news. On Sunday, the 69th annual Tony Awards took place at Radio City Music Hall in New York City. Fun Home, a dramatic musical about a lesbian cartoonist coming to terms with her past and the suicide of her closeted gay father, proved to be the biggest winner of the night. The musical took home Best Original Score, Best Book of a Musical, Best Director of a Musical, 
and Best New Musical. The night also featured 11-year-old cast member of Fun Home, Sidney Lucas, as he stole the show with the musical's ballad, Ring of Keys. After the monumental wins, the producers of Fun Home have stated that ticket sales have quadrupled. With your entertainment news, I'm Michaela Harris. This has been your weekly news update. I've been your anchor, Audrey Matus, and Exposure starts now. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM. Like I said earlier, I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. First up on the show is the Bailey Bike Share Program. This is something y'all might have heard about. Uh, it's, it's a bike sharing program, and uh, students can essentially check out bikes just like they can books. Uh, I sat down with Dom Clemens, the president of ASMSU, to talk about this. It's Dom Clemens, and it's president of the a- ASMSU? That's right, newly elected. Awesome. How's the new position? Pretty good, you know, getting adjusted, getting the swing of things. Yeah. Are you excited about it? I am. There's a lot to be done. A lot to be done. All right. So uh, today we wanted to talk about this new bike rental program. Um, so why don't you give us, for anyone who hasn't heard about it, why don't you give us a quick rundown? Like, what what's it made up of? What is it? Sure. So our... Um, Bike share program, it's currently, we're doing our pilot program at Bailey Hall. We have eight bikes, and any student can check it out. Um, you don't have to live on, in Bailey or even live on campus. You just go into the Bailey front desk, show your ID, you have to sign an agreement, you check out a key, and then you're free to use it up to 24 hours. Wow, so like anyone with an MSU ID can just go ahead and use it? Yep, almost just like checking out a book at the library. Wow, that's cool. So um, there's eight bikes. Um, how are they like locked up? I mean... It, so right now we're using just the traditional U-locks um, with the key. The keys are kept at the Bailey desk, so that's what you kind of turn in and out with the bike. Okay, cool. And, like, are these just standard bikes? Like, tell, tell, tell me a little bit more about the bikes. Yeah, so right now they're just the basic um, bikes. They have some special mechanisms, mechanisms on them to keep wheels and parts from being stolen, but it's just your basic 18-speed. Um, 18-speed? Okay. Yep. Um, so... I was told that there may have been some issues originally trying to get this whole program going up. I'm, I'm told it's like two years that in the making. Yeah, that this has been so happening. actually this September will be two years since we've introduced the program. Two years ago, there was a bill introduced from the Assembly to do a bike sharing program. It was a completely different program than what we're looking at now. It was 40 bikes. They were some really cool bikes, touchscreens, electronic clocks. There was a huge price tag with that um, and talking to the students and really working with university we decided that that wouldn't be the best option the best way to utilize um, the students resources so we decided to scale it back a little bit and we have this new program now that we're partnering with msu bikes and rehs for something much simpler but still getting out to all of the students and now we're looking at this summer to hopefully expand to five more locations um so we will be at a total of 40 bikes but about half the cost of the original proposal. yeah wow so that was a like it a lot of money right off the, the, the bat. Oh, why why couldn't that go through? It was the issues. It took two years because this just came into effect like two months ago, yep, right? in March. In March, so a couple months ago. Um, yeah, what was the setback there? So initially we heard a lot of feedback from the students who um, didn't like the fact that we're spending this much money for 40 bikes. So we reevaluated kind of internally, and we heard that they still wanted a bike program, so we are looking at other options. Um, so it took us a little bit of time to find out some alternatives. So now we're partnering with MSU Bikes on campus and REHS on campus. They're super supportive, and we've been working with them to build a partnership to make this new bike share program happen. Initial, initially, we were going to start our roll-off in the fall of last semester. Um, but we got pushed back a little bit as far as ordering the bikes, and then by the time everything was available, it was December, and we decided to wait for the spring just because weather and some safety concerns with people riding the bikes during 
to wintertime in some university liabilities. Instead, now we only have eight. Um, how has the university so far responded to that, the students? How, how, are, how is this being used? So we've actually gotten really, um, really well reaction. We're actually averaging about 315 uses per month. So although students can check them out for up to 24 hours, we're noticing that most students are checking them out for a couple hours at the time. Um, we're assuming that there's things for students to go to class, things like that. We know a lot of students are using them because they have a basket on them to run to a grocery store, a convenience store, pick up things for their dorm and bring it back. Are there anything like, are there any, any feedback that you've been getting about how students have been using it besides the um, grocery store kind of runs? Are there any, any unusual uses maybe or anything you've, you've heard of? Sure. So I haven't heard of a whole lot. I have had the opportunity to talk to a few users when I went out there as we were assessing where to put new things. We're hearing there are a lot of students that use it for bar runs um, and will lock it up during the day so they don't have to drive, which I think is a great thing, you know, if they're not driving um, or keeping people safe in that way. Um, one thing we've heard a couple of students um, really mention is that they have cars on campus and they are using the bikes because they're more environmentally friendly. Um, so I think that's really cool. I think kind of our uh, the oddest thing that I've heard, we had one student who had a fish in his dorm room, and apparently he was going to get more fish, so he used the basket and, like, got a bucket of water to fill and go get fish, so. Okay, and right now it's stationed at Bailey Hall, is that right? Yep. So what are the other locations you were talking about? So we're looking at putting something in every neighborhood and then having two at Brody. So right now our new locations that we're working on are Shaw, Acres, Case, Landon and Butterfield. Cool, cool. Um, and then, do you have any uh, do you, do you have any idea of where this program might be going? I know you said you were thinking about expanding to a couple different neighborhoods, but uh, are there any more distant uh, goals or maybe even ideas? Certainly. So um, we have looked at expanding to these five new locations. What we are currently kind of playing around with is seeing if we can use something with more of the electronic smart locks. We're looking at a couple of different companies that have locks that you can unlock and lock from your smartphone. It'd still be a U-lock, but they'd have the capability of checking it out from their phone. So we're looking into that, um, and we're also looking at for future years, possibly more locations if we're finding out that 5 and 40 bikes are being really successful. Sweet. And so the students that uh, want to voice some opinion about this um, that might not know how through ASMSU, what are what are some uh, mediums that students can talk to you guys about their opinions? Sure. So one of the easiest ways to get in touch with ASMSU is through their representative. Um, every college has um, one or two representatives that represent the students of those college, and their email addresses are available on our website. And Or anyone can always just stop into the office. Our officers have office hours regularly if they want to speak to an officer or we're on all of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, and again, a great place is our website. We have a kind of a form thing you can fill out to put in comments about anything that we're working on. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming in, dude. All right. Thank you. Next up on the show, we go to Audrey Matus, our favorite impact reporter, to talk with a 4-H specialist about the poultry showing bands and how it'll affect 4-H. Okay, so today I am going to find out more about the recent ban put on the poultry in Michigan festivals, which is a big part here in a lot of Michigan festivals. So here I'm sitting with Katie Okert. And Katie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So could you explain your role with MSU and how you um, are connected or affected by this ban? My role with MSU is through Extension, and Extension programs are present in all 83 counties throughout the state, and we bring the research that the university does into our local communities um, so that real people um, can use what we 
find out here on campus. Um, I am responsible, my, my official title is 4-H Animal Science Educator, so I'm responsible for working with poultry, rabbit and KV, companion animal, and um, goat programming, um, and I support all of those um, county staff people who are out in the counties doing 4-H programming for youth. And can you explain this recent ban, can you explain um, what exactly it prohibits and why it was put into action? Sure. The Michigan um, Department of Agriculture and Rural Development is the regulatory agency over all um, animals and um, crops and everything agricultural in our state. Um, we have a, a team of state veterinarians um, that work for the Michigan, the government of Michigan, um, and they monitor any animal health risks and then take the necessary precautions. So as a result of avian influenza, coming closer and closer to Michigan. Um, as a preventative measure, we have, um, they went ahead and banned all poultry exhibitions and bird swaps and shows throughout the state. Um, what this means is basically that any county fairs, any festivals, um, petting zoos, miracle of life, um, those types of displays are not going to be present this summer at events. Mm -hmm. And can you explain how that um, more specifically affects the 4-H program? Sure. We have roughly 3,000 members throughout the state of Michigan that are involved in poultry science programs. Many of them own and raise their own birds for both egg and meat production. So um, at the end of the, the year, so in the summertime after they've already um, almost completed raising their, their projects, we typically have county fairs and they get to show their animals and breed classes and showmanship classes and really demonstrate their knowledge and their skills to outside um, non-biased experts who we hire as judges. Um, since we can't have live birds at any public venue, um, it certainly has a pretty big effect on our 4-H programs. Can we speak a bit more about the alternatives? Like how long did it take you guys to figure this out? What kind of uh, measure did you have to go to make a safer alternative? Um, what I did was as soon as I had heard that um, we were going to have that ban um, and regulations put in place, I contacted my counterparts in other states that had um, already canceled and I asked them what they were doing. Um, and really I learned a big lesson because they weren't doing anything and they had people just doing whatever they wanted to do, really they were experiencing a lot of chaos and a lot of um, dishevelment within their programs and they weren't offering anything. So I took that lesson of what not to do. So I broke down, okay, what are the important parts of an ex the, the show in a, um, at a county fair? How can we supplement that? How can we make that an alternative? So naturally we have showmanship classes breed classes and market classes. The showmanship was m relatively easy because we have some really good lifelike bird models out there on the market. So each county is going to go ahead and invest in some of those bird models. We modified the score sheet so it, it reflects some questions. It's more heavily weighted on questions rather than their showmanship steps with the model bird. Then the, the second is the breed classes. And we know that we can't have live birds there. So what we're encouraging youth to do is make 3D display boards where they can sit down and talk to the judge about their birds. 
what they like about them, what they don't, why that's their favorite breed, you know, and get into more of what our program focuses, which is education. Um, we use the experiential learning model um, as our foundational piece to, to educate. And judges fit into that really nicely in helping youth say and communicate and share what they've been doing. And, and that's a really important piece of that process. So we're giving them that opportunity to have that, those discussions and share what they're doing. So I think that these alternatives are actually more educational um, than a traditional show ring experience. So we're really proud of them. Um, we've gotten national attention for our measures, um, which is great for the university and for, um, for our 4-H programs. So I'm, I'm really proud of what our team put together. What sort of national attention? Would you mind speaking more on that? Um, the Michigan Association of Fairs and Exhibitions, they have a national association that has a newsletter and they just had um, an online virtual conference last um, on Friday and they shared, our, our Michigan um, director shared what we were doing with everybody across the country um, and people were very, very um, interested in what we were doing, thought it was a great model to follow. Um, because we've put together all those pieces that everybody really needs in a comprehensive and comparable way. So often I feel like when little setbacks, per se, quotation marks around that, happen, it, it does uh, lead to a cause of like reorganizing and things. So would you say that this one change has will maybe um, lead to different reorganizing, replanning things in other segments of 4-H? Um, probably not. <laughs> um, what it may do, though, is highlight that we are here for education and um, a lot of the supplemental contests and things that we added to our list of things to do to fill the barns and to give the kids in poultry some more experiences such as turkey barbecue contests, chicken barbecue contests, um, quiz bowls, skillathons, build a bird, um, those types of activities that really are meaningful as well in, in an educational context hopefully they they figure out how fun those are and they see that these are really cool things and they continue to do them locally. So. Um, why do you think it's important for, I feel like Michigan's known for being agriculture, why do you think it's important for maybe perhaps Michigan youth to get a hands-on experience with uh, agriculture and poultry and different sorts of, um, I guess you would call it farm aspects? Well, because Michigan's second largest industry is agriculture. So it's really important that people understand, and, and youth as well as adults, understand that um, the agricultural industry is has a farther reach than just being on-site on a farm. Um, we have sales and education and research and development, packaging, um, engineering, all of those different career fields can and are a huge part of the agricultural sector. Um, financial pieces, you know, it's huge um, and people don't understand the far reaches of, of agriculture. Specifically in animal science, people think, oh, I can either be a farmer or I can be a vet. And they think that those are their only two career options and really those are it's merely the tip of the iceberg. So our programs really do a good job of highlighting all of the different career opportunities and, and 
major opportunities at Michigan State University because of course we want kids to come here that are in our program um, but they have a better view of what all is available to them you know we will continue to work um, just as hard as we can to make sure that kids get the experiences that they deserve to have as a part of our programs um, if this ban goes on for long term which I don't know how long it, it will be on but we'll continue to work really hard to find um, and create opportunities for youth in these programs. So if you know, are there any like outlets you'd like to plug in there that will about 4-H or about this um, alternative or upcoming exhibition? Yeah um, we have a website specifically for avian influenza information and that can be found at www.msue that msu.edu slash poultry shows. If you're wondering about avian influenza, um, we have FAQs, we have health sheets if you have backyard poultry, which is a growing sector in, um, in production system within the poultry industry. Um, lots of facts if you're, if you're nervous about avian influenza. Um, and also you can check out your local extension office just by simply googling um, your county name and MSU extension and the office information will pop up and we have programs for for youth from 5 to 19 years old in just about any content area you can think of. Awesome well thank you for sitting down with me today Katie. Thank you so much for having me. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM, Michigan State University's student-run news program. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. Last week, I went to Traverse City to work with Rob Rosenthal from How Sound. Yes, that's the Rob Rosenthal from How Sound. Uh, if you don't know him, you should listen to the podcast uh, if you want. It's about radio making. Um, but we went to Traverse City and we worked on a couple features together. Um, and I know I like to call myself a journalist, but I went there to essentially skateboard. And so I went with a couple people, and we, we followed them as they uh, talked about the intersection between skateboarding and art. The Denos Museum in Traverse City has launched an art exhibit called Sideways. The exhibit asked the community to submit skateboard designs to be displayed. Eric Campbell, owner of Proof Positive Brand Design, walked me through the exhibit to show me the board he designed. I used uh, spray paint, masking material, and that's pretty much it. I, I used uh, white paint and three colors of fluorescent paint for the different lozenges. Um, this one didn't really translate well as a fluorescent, but I think the orange and the, the red did. So, Eric is a 42-year-old graphic designer. He was a skater back in the 80s, and he still is. He took me to the skate park so he could prove it. Uh, not as not as limber as he used to be. <laughs> Just cold right now. I mean, coming from sitting in a chair in the office this morning to this. Yeah, yeah. Despite my criticism, he actually is really talented. Skateboarding and art go hand in hand. Everything in the skate world is covered with paintings, drawing, and designs. I wanted to know why. As a skater and a designer, Eric seemed like the best person to ask. We went back to his design firm to talk about it. He started skating in the 80s. It was frowned upon back then. He even got arrested once at an Arby's. We were definitely looked down upon, uh, you know, in the early 80s and, and, and 
and 90s when we were coming up. And yeah, like I said, I, I got a malicious destruction of property from it. <laughs> he was just grinding on their sidewalk. But as for the design. Well, I think, I think the sort of a, a lot of the skateboard culture at the time and even now was predicated or, or, or built around that DIY culture. DIY or do-it-yourself culture was something Eric mentioned a lot. This term kind of blossomed from this zine he published when he was younger. It was kind of the same with starting the magazine. It was like, okay, we don't have a magazine that really serves the Midwest. So we thought, well, let's just create it ourselves. I had approached a friend who had a Mac computer and I'm like, hey, let's start a zine. And we called it Poke Magazine, and Poke was inspired by when you do a trick on a skateboard or a snowboard, that extra little bit of tweak or, or poke you get out of it. Eric went from skating to zines to design. And that theme, the DIY artist inspired by skateboarding, is not something that's hard to find. Take RJ Raines, for example. He painted a board for the exhibit, too. Right now, he's painting something different for me. We're under a highway at a makeshift skate park around sunset. RJ spray painting a stencil, not on a wall though, on a piece of wood he insisted on bringing from home. Like one of the main things with art and skateboarding is I think that a lot of people gravitate towards that so much because art is kind of like a, or uh, sorry, skating's more kind of like a rebel community in a way. Like um, there's not as many rules to it, you know what I mean? And when you add in art into that, like it throws the book out the window. If you look at a lot of the deck designs and a lot of the art in the magazines and stuff, it's it's raw. RJ thinks artists are attracted to the lawlessness of skateboarding. Skateboarding doesn't have a coach. It doesn't have rules. It doesn't have like, a, you know, per se, like per se, like a team, like a sports team followed by a coach. Um, and I mean, even the ones that do like the sponsored people that do, it kind of has like, you know, like a thrash mentality behind it. Like, go do what you want. You can do what you want. That's the same DIY culture Eric was talking about before. RJ's only 25, but right now he's making art work for him. Yeah, what do you do now? Actually, like, I say, like, kind of wintertime, I'm the train park manager at Crystal. So, like, snowboarding and stuff. Oh, okay. And then um, summertime, like, I do mainly, like, freelance art and just stuff like this. Like, I kind of save up most of my money mm -hmm. so I can get away with doing this because, like, my bills are super cheap. Like my rent and everything. Yeah. So I, um, you know what I mean? The goal is kind of to just uh, progress in art more as much as I can. You know what I mean? As much as I can. Right, so. right. Eventually I asked RJ, why didn't he want to put the stencil on the wall? I don't know. I'm just not really into the idea at the moment of uh, kind of the unsanctioned art. Because like just trying to make a name for myself in the art world, like currently, uh, I don't really want to, uh, I guess, not, not per se tarnish that, but uh, get in trouble to where, like, and, and fines and stuff to where it's going to set me back from, like, my main goal. I mean, if I get to do that in the future, like, I would be all about it because I love the idea, actually, of uh, how on chain that is. But at the same time right now, like, I just, I'm kind of focusing on, like, the bigger picture. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The sun goes down as RJ applies the final layer. He reveals a colorful bird perched on a paint can. It's seven different colors and an incredible level of detail. And then he just gets back on his board. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89FM. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. This is Michigan State University's student-run news program. Coming up next, we talk to Lizzie King, who is going to give us some incoming college student tips. This is 
mostly targeted towards the AOP students that might be here today. And if uh, you're listening, then here's, here's a couple of helpful hints. Right now, I'm sitting down with Lizzie King. She is the Assistant Director of Student Affairs at the Residential College of Arts and Humanities, also short for ARCA, or long for ARCA. Start off, just kind of get to know you more. What is your uh, role in Student Affairs? Sure. So my role in ARCA is to work with students through um, the end of recruitment, so kind of once they've been admitted to MSU and admitted into ARCA, and kind of through the transition in the first year, so through orientation in the summer, and then kind of getting into their first year experience of academic advising and kind of figuring out how to navigate the university. So you mostly deal with freshmen then? Yeah, definitely. I mostly work with first-year students, but what's nice about our model in ARCA is that we all work with e- with each other. So I can see seniors and juniors and, and sophomores as well, and then the other advisor can also see freshmen. So we kind of go back and forth. Okay, awesome. Can you like explain a bit more what ARCA is? Sure. So in a nutshell, um, ARCA is a program for students who are interested in the liberal arts, um, mostly focused on arts and humanities, obviously, because of our name. And we're really a place for students who have multiple passions and multiple interests and are looking for a way to take their interests in the arts and humanities and apply it to the real world, especially for students that are looking for that kind of actionable piece. They might be passionate about music or theater or um, media or photography, but they also want to incorporate English and history and literature and philosophy into those passions. And what we do in ARCA is give them a way to do that in a small learning environment. So there are a lot of ways on campus to study those subjects, but in ARCA, it's really focused on small classes in a residential um community in Snyder Phillips Hall. How does that kind of tailor what you have to do? I feel like you have to answer a lot more questions or maybe like try to understand what they're interested in and tailor that down. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the ways we look at it is nothing is prescribed. So it's not like a student comes into the office and we already have their answers in advance, which I think can happen in other environments where it's very clear steps um, to go from one thing to the other. In ARCA, it's, it's exploration. It's discovery. So Part of my job is to sit down and ask those questions with the student side by side and that we really focus on um, creating a path and a plan for each person individually um, as opposed to giving someone a set of requirements and saying just do these things. Uh, There are requirements and there are uh, requirements for each student to fulfill. But the way that the student does them is really kind of designed and customized based on how they pick their classes and how they explore their other interests. Um, One of the things about our environment is we encourage students to step out of the Snyder Phillips building and to really take advantage of other resources on campus. And that might mean having a second major or another minor or um, getting involved in student organizations all over campus like you've done. And so part of my job is to help them navigate that and figure out, you know, what are the things I want to do and how does it relate to my interest in music or in photography or in history or writing? How do we connect those things, those Mm -hmm. things together? But could you maybe explain like what a customized path may look like in ARCA with the classes and what kind of things they can do? Sure, sure. So um, in ARCA, we have a certain, obviously, set of courses that are required for students to fulfill. But within those courses, the topics are different based on the section that the student picks. And so everyone has to take the same, um, for example, writing class their first year. But there's usually anywhere from five to six different sections of that class. And we would help a student pick the one that fulfills their interest the most. Maybe it's a class that focuses on 
food and the writing of food, which might fulfill their interest in nutrition and health and wellness. On the other hand, a student might be really interested in um, something like world cultures and languages and exploring kind of people from different backgrounds and taking a class that's focused on um, world cultures through language and writing might be another way to do that. So in the academic sense, it's really kind of customized by picking the different topics of the classes. The other piece of that is they're also customizing their experience through what we call the elective pathway. And the elective pathway is an opportunity to um, take classes outside of, of the residential college across campus in different areas that fulfill their interest area. And then they come back into the residential college and take two pathway classes that connect to those topics. And so there's just a lot of different ways to customize. And some things happen in the first and second year through those core courses. And then as they move through the curriculum in the junior and senior year, those pathway courses help tie it together even more. And do you feel like ARCA's how we how we, I say, I admit I am in ARCA, <laughs> how um, you guys connect with your students and how you, um, your student affairs, you feel like it's more personal or different than other schools because it is small, but then also I feel like, I don't know, like I have your number in my phone. Like, do you feel like it's yeah. more personalized? I definitely, you know, it's funny that you ask that. I certainly think it is. Um, I don't see the relationships that happen in other environments um, outside of our college, but I know for a fact that at the end of the day, um, giving away my cell phone number And letting a student send me a text message is how I'm comfortable. And I think that's what makes me a good fit working in RCAH, working in the residential college. And I think that that is what attracts the student there, too, is that they're looking for that personal element. Um, And not everybody, that's not how everybody communicates and that's not how everyone prefers. But I think in ARCA, at the end of the day, the students walk away knowing that the people there are looking for that small personal relationship as well. So everybody is kind of jointly looking for that experience and sharing it with each other. So when a professor sends an email to a student or when a student sends a text message to an advisor, I think that you know on the other end somebody is actually, they care about your response and they want you to engage with them. Mm -hmm. I agree. And then what do you feel are the most difficult things for students to understand and manage when they come to your office? I think that regardless of a student's major, um, one of some of the most difficult things to manage um, as a college student when it comes to preparing to kind of engage in their college experience from an academic advisor's lens is uh, how to navigate the system. Um, There's a hidden curriculum in the university, and that hidden curriculum is how to get your questions answered, how to know where to go. And it's overwhelming because it can be embarrassing to ask the question that you don't know the answer to. But as an advisor, it's I hope that I let students know you can always ask questions. In fact, some of my advice to give students is ask questions and don't be afraid to seek out resources for mm-hmm. help um, because there's no way you should be expected to know everything when you get here. That's why we're called advisors. Do you have an example of a time where you had someone come in that was like really flustered or really confused? Maybe they didn't know if they want to be in the ARCA. They didn't know if this is the right place for them or if MSU is even the right place for them. What do you do to aid them and kind of like settle them down and collect their thoughts? Sure. That's a great question. And I think it happens pretty regularly, both in the residential college, but also across campus in many different majors, especially in the first and second year. Students will often come in um, flustered and confused because they might realize they have another interest that they didn't know about 
before they were in that setting. And usually the conversation is kind of goes in a few different directions. But the first thing that we do is we talk about those interests and we figure out, are they connected to what we do here in the residential college? And then the second thing is we'll start to explore what are the requirements if you want to actually make that a major or if Mm -hmm. you want to pursue that area as a minor what does it actually look like? Is it possible? You know, if you're a junior and you realize you have a passion for horticulture, you know, does it mean that you're going back and you're taking classes and that you might be here another year versus if you're a sophomore or a first year student and you have time to add that on and it still fits in your four years. So we do a little bit of that um, homework together. And I think it's important to know that we do it together. You know, when a student comes in, I think they are can be nervous sometimes because They don't want to disappoint the advisor. Mm -hmm. But what I try to communicate to them is that at the end of the day, it's my goal and I think it's all of our goals as advisors to make sure that you're successful. And so if it means that you're not staying in the major you're currently in, that's okay. But usually what it means is how can I mold my path to fit these things together? Um, But if it means that you're completely shifting gears and you're maybe completely changing your major – we're going to make sure that you're connected to those resources and to those people so that you're still successful and that you can still leave MSU um, in a timely manner because we don't want students here for six or seven years. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that a student wants that kind of um, debt if they have financial aid or loans either. So I think everyone on MSU's campus cares about that. But sometimes it's hard to see that from a student perspective unless that conversation is had. Right. So for someone new coming onto campus or a freshman, for example, and they're coming to a counselor meeting, what are some tips we have for them and to make the best out of their meeting? Sure. I think that there are definitely some some important things to keep in mind when you come in for an advising appointment. And one is um, to come with some questions written down. I think it's easy to have them in your in your head. Um, and I'm guilty of doing this all the time. You know, if I go to a doctor's appointment I'll think, oh, I'll ask my doctor that question. And I always forget mm-hmm. when I'm there in the moment because you're you're nervous. Uh, so instead, it's a good idea to write questions down on a piece of paper or write them in your phone and send yourself a text message or an email and have those things um, available. And, and don't be afraid to say, I have a list of questions I want to ask so I don't miss anything. Uh, and then something else I would say um, in terms of advice is that, at least for ARCA, Uh, And know that it's a joint process. It's about exploration. So the answers aren't always black and white. They're not always clear. Usually it's um, discovery together that we get we get kind of to the solution. Um, And so don't feel bad if you don't know the answer to the question you're asking, because that's our job. But also we might work through it together. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's something I definitely noticed. I came in, I was used to my high school counselor and like meeting her and seeing her in the hallway. And so I was worried that coming to college would be different. And with NARCA, I also double major in communication. So it's a little different. The communications are still very nice and helpful. But with ARCA, it's just nicer. Sit down. I know I can just let it all out, tell you what, what my problems are for the moment. And I think it's it's good that you say that because that's also part of the process is that we want our door, our doors are always open. We want mm-hmm. it to be welcoming. And I think that sometimes students feel like they have to talk about specific topics, but you can't be a successful student if you, you know, aren't able to express all of those things that are that are kind of maybe roadblocks or challenges. And so we keep all those things in mind. And I think you kind of hit on this before as far as like the fear of coming to talk to your counselor. But what are some mistakes that you often see students making with maybe not even necessarily with um, 
meetings, but with their major, their classes they're taking? I think um, one of the biggest mistakes nationwide for college students is it's not a mistake so much so as just not being aware, mm-hmm. which is time management and the the kind of the responsibility and the accountability that comes along with being a college student. It can be overwhelming to know that you're completely on your own um, and that you're in charge. And if you don't do your homework, that the only one that's going to have a consequence for that is yourself. Um, and I think that that's a big change and a transition out of high school where there was always somebody holding you accountable for that work. In college, that doesn't happen. And I think that that's one of the biggest um, pieces to adjusting and transitioning. And everybody does it at their own rate. Some people transition really smoothly in that area, but then maybe later down the road, it becomes a problem. Other students, it's a problem from the beginning. And it's as an advisor, I would want them to know it's okay and there are resources to help you through that and to help make you more accountable. Um, and I'll give you an example real quick. Uh, online classes can be really challenging to navigate. Yes, I've heard. <laughs> right. So, and But one of the things I learned is that online classes can also be amazing because they help you learn at your own pace sometimes. One of the ways that students can navigate them better is what I try to give students the tip of is – If you have an online class, then you're not physically going somewhere during the week. And so if you look at your schedule, if you're on the schedule builder and you look at the view visual option, you don't see that class anywhere. And so what we'll try to do at orientation is I'll say, okay, see that big gap on Monday morning? You don't have anything until Monday at 2 o'clock. So what you should do is make a plan that every Monday from 10 to 11, you're in your online class. And what Mm -hmm. that means is you're spending that time working on what you need to do in that class. And that's just one example of pick a time and devote the time to it because there's nobody ever saying it's time to go to class. It's time to do the homework for this area because it's online and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. And so lastly, when students are listening to this, what do you want? um, And they want to learn more about ARCA or tips on academic advising. How can they contact you or where can they go to get these answers? Sure, sure. I I have a couple answers. So the first thing I would say is, in general, for students who are trying to um, connect to their advisors and their colleges, every college has academic advisors. Every major at MSU has academic advisors. And don't be afraid to send them an email. And it can be as simple as just calling the main phone number for the college and asking, how do I get in touch with my advisor? But the second thing I would say is that if you want to explore and you're looking to shift gears, um, on a campus level, at the university level, we have a program every year in the fall and the spring called Marathon of Majors. And that's a great environment to go meet advisors from different colleges and learn about different majors on campus without an appointment because it's just an event. It happens in November and it happens in, in March. And so that's a good program to go to. But if a student is interested specifically in learning more about ARCA, I would encourage them to um, to go to our website, which is uh, rcah.msu.edu, and there's a lot of information there about students and profiles of our alumni and career resources, but also there's contact information. Um, I'm an advisor, and, and it's pretty easy to get in touch with me, and also our director of student affairs, Nikki Rudolph, is also a great advisor, and between the two of us, we meet with students on a regular basis. Um, and our phone number, which is also pretty easy to remember, um, a student can call that phone number, which is 517-355-0210, and schedule an appointment. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Lizzie. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And I hope listeners that you learned something today. Thanks so much for having me. You are listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. I'm your host, Quinn Hoffman. This is our student-run news program. Things seem a little unorthodox. It's because we're students, and it's unsupervised. We do whatever we want, and it's a mess. Coming up next on the show, we have Tim Marshall with uh, the Sonic Lunch, which is a an un- unorthodox uh, festival, music festival, that uh, features a lunch, I suppose. Um, it's held in Ann Arbor, and it'll be happening all this summer. Now we go to Audrey Matus with Tim Marshall. So the Bank of Ann Arbor has been hosting an event here in the summer called Sonic Lunch, and it's a blend of music and food. And here to discuss the 8th Annual Sonic Lunch Festival this summer is President of the Bank of Ann Arbor, Tim Marshall. Thank you for calling in today, Tim. Well, thank you for having me, Audrey. It's, it's great to be here with you. Awesome. I'm, I'm really excited about this event. I'm not even from Ann Arbor. I'm from here in Okemos. But you have a really great lineup. But first, let's just discuss if you, well, if you could explain a bit more about what this event is. And how did you guys think of this idea? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll start back with with when we uh, put put the idea together, and uh, it was it was in the uh, fall winter two thousand seven. Uh, I, I came up with uh, uh, an idea to grab my senior management team and. I had thought about all of the community involvement that the Bank of Ann Arbor maintains and all of the events that we sponsor and uh, take an active role in, uh, in in helping this be a better place to, to live, work, and play. And uh, it dawned on me that in most instances, we were sharing many of these events with a multitude of other sponsors. And uh, so my recommendation to my team was that we uh, uh, create an event that the Bank of Ann Arbor would brand and uh, would, would, uh, would, would develop and uh, share with the community every year. And, uh, and I was recommending that it be uh, uh, musically oriented. And uh, so I I got a little, uh, you know, a little, a few of my folks kind of looked at me with cross-eyed and (laughs) were wondering, what are are we talking about here? And, and, uh, but through additional discussion and what I saw as the benefit to the community, uh, just another example of, Bank of Ann Arbor giving back to the community and doing more for the community to, to really make this a more vibrant community. Uh, everybody jumped on board. And so 2008 was our first year, and uh, we developed a very close partnership with, uh, with, with a, a local uh, FM station here in town, uh, 107.1. And so in the winter of you know uh, 2007 2008 I convened a group of people that included uh, um, the program director from 1071 the morning drive time host uh, myself the head of my marketing department um, and and an individual that was at that point associated with a local uh, 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 artist agency uh, cool. music agency and and so that started it and then we started to pull pieces together and and uh, 
you know, we wanted to have somewhat of a mix of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, local artists, Michigan artists, and then if, you know, if we could attract some 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 national and international, uh, at that point we thought it would be good. But but Audrey, as it started, we were uh, we we were mainly uh, you know focused on trying to fit our initial bill with uh, with as many local artists as we could. How did you get the lunch involvement? So I see you have like local music is kind of a big. A lot of these names come from Michigan, um, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. How did you get the food involvement? Well, we turned to our uh, advertising agency, uh, Parrots and Partners, uh, and we shared with them the vision that we were trying to create and that I I really wanted to do a lunchtime concert series. Uh, And so we looked at several different names, and we ended up landing on Sonic Lunch, as as how we were going to brand this uh, this this summer concert series and and so you know it all just kind of worked together. Uh, we wanted to kind of there, there's a downtown uh, uh, park that's called Liberty Plaza, and uh, it just didn't have a lot of life and there wasn't a lot of activity, and we thought that we could possibly uh, create some some energy and some activity uh, over the lunch hour and give people a chance to come and enjoy lunch and listen to some just dynamite uh, uh, artists. Absolutely. And so are these local restaurants that are providing the meal, the food? Yes. What what we do, cool. uh, Audrey, is is each week we have, uh, we have a restaurant partner. And uh, so the restaurant partner comes completely uh, prepared to uh, to provide lunch uh, to uh, I- anybody that attends, and uh, uh, they'll sell sandwiches, they'll sell salads. Uh, you know, we've done uh, we, we've done a wide range of of uh, uh, of, uh, of different lunch uh, uh, opportunities. Uh, so we have that, and, and then of course we got the music, and some people bring their own lunch sack and other people of sure. course go to a, a restaurant of their choice and, and, and then come and enjoy the music. Awesome. So keeping it local is obviously a big deal here. And so let's, can we talk a bit about the local artists that you have in the lineup this this summer? Well, we've got, uh, you know, we started out last week with just, just an absolute terrific show. Uh, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, uh, you know, Motown legend uh, Martha Reeves and right. the Mandela's kicked it off. And, of course, Martha and, and her band are, are from the metro Detroit area. Uh, we've got Joshua Davis playing uh, from from the voice fame this year where, as you know, he was one of the finalists. And he's from Traverse City. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh, so he's going to play this Thursday. And the lineup just kind of takes on that sort of look and feel. Jessica Hernandez, as an example, is, is, is from Metro Detroit. Michelle Shamuel uh, is uh, a University of Michigan graduate. Uh, Laith Alsadi, who's just one of the, the premier guitar players in the country, uh, was a pioneer high school student. Uh, um, and uh, you know has played in this community for, for a number of years, and he will be uh, one of 
two now that have played all eight years. So we always welcome back Leith. And, you know, Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers is an example from from Lansing, Michigan. So so we try to – this year was very interesting. We, You know, some years we can't say we had a Michigan connection with every artist. Uh, uh, But this year, as it turned out, when we put the schedule together – Every artist that we signed to play Sonic Lunch uh, has some sort of Michigan connection. Right. I noticed Joe Hart and Rainbow Seekers, we play them a lot at our station. And even artists, I didn't know, uh, I knew some of the artists, I didn't know this, like Borns. I looked him up, he signed with Interscope Records, and apparently the internet knows him really well. He has like 400,000 views on YouTube. I was like, okay, (laughs) you guys have a really great lineup. Yeah. And uh, one he's, year, a, he's, a, he's amazing. Yeah, and they're all from Ann Arbor, so that's really great. And um, Wolfpack, it's an artist here at the radio station we like, um, some of us listen to as well. And I read on your website that they um, released an album on through Spotify called Sleepify. And it was just like 10 songs of absolute silence, and they were advertising to people to listen to their album while they slept so they could um, play these kind of shows where they have no admission and they can travel and just have the public come and watch them. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And... Um, also, so it's also it's great to have a good music, but let's discuss who this event is really for. In your opinion, who is this event for? It's for it's for the it's for the community. It's it's uh, it's absolutely uh, first and foremost for the community. Uh, we're passionate about uh, doing things uh, uh, in the community and for the community to help make this a more vibrant community and. As I mentioned earlier, just a better place to live, work, play, raise your children. The, the, the number of of uh, parents that you know bring their strollers and and uh, and their young children uh, it, it's 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 terrific. And uh, you know, you mentioned Bournes. Well, a lot of people don't know that uh, that Bournes was raised in in Grand Haven, Michigan, and uh, you know he, he studied music at Interlochen. Uh, so that's that's his connection. Uh, uh, Volkpeck that you referenced, uh, uh, the band originally formed at the University of Michigan. Right. Uh, so it, it was just uh, Audrey. It was it was. I've got to admit a stroke of luck that we had a connection with every artist. Uh, uh, but uh, but it, it really it really was kind of fun as we sat back and looked at. At, at our body of work and, and said, this is, this is going to be a great summer. Yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely going to try to make myself <laughs> put some time in my schedule so I can come down as well. And so for people that are listening, how can they get involved and learn more about Sonic Lunch? Well, we're, we're very active on, on social media. So I would recommend that, uh, that you like, uh, uh, the Bank of Ann Arbor, uh, uh, Facebook page. I'd recommend that you like the Sonic Lunch uh, Facebook page, and then Twitter. Uh, we're we're uh, very active on both the Bank of Ann Arbor Twitter uh, Twitter account and the Sonic Lunch Twitter account. So those are, you know, I think those would be. We we also have a a homepage uh, for Sonic Lunch. Uh, uh, at soniclunch.com, but uh, there's a number of areas that you can go to to, uh, you know, kind of stay up to date and kind of kind of get in the mood. Uh, 
because I would anticipate that uh, social media for for Joshua Davis, if it, if it hasn't already really heated up, right. uh, it'll be at a very high. It'll be at a very very high level uh, the, tomorrow and and Thursday. Great. And just for clarification, this event started what last week? Yeah, last uh, Martha Reeves kicked it off on June the fourth. She she was our. Uh, uh, our opening performer, and uh, uh, and then we we go up until uh, June 25th uh, when when we have Michelle Shamuel with Absofacto doing the warm up, okay. and then we take Fourth of July week off, uh, uh, and uh, and then we come back July the 9th with with uh, the, the, your friend from Lansing, Joe Hurtler, and the Rainbow Seekers. Uh, we take art fair week off and then come back July 23rd and run July 23rd through uh, the last performance, uh, which is uh, August 27th. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for calling in today and taking some time out. And yes, good luck with this event. Okay. Thank you, Audrey. Yep. Uh, good, good to hear from you and, uh, and, and enjoy this beautiful day. You too. That's all for tonight. You have been listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. I've been your host, Quinn Hoffman. We'd like to give a special thanks to our station manager, Sammy Leonardo, our general manager, Ed Glazer, our assistant news director, Audrey Matus. We'd also like to give a thanks to the guys from Torch and Twang, uh, Daniel Razel and uh, AJ Mosner, for uh, ordering some pizza with us. It was a good time. They're coming up next. Y'all should stay tuned if you want. Um, all of our episodes are podcasted on the website at impact89fm.org. You can follow us on Twitter, too, at uh, impact underscore exposure. Um, just to highlight for next week, we're going to have Audrey Matus, who's doing a story on the Golden Harvest, which is not an easy story to get if you know the Golden Harvest at all. It is a very anti-media place. But we got it, and it'll be there next week. Uh, you've been listening to Exposure on the Impact 89 FM. And I've been your host, Quinn Hoffman. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure.